Good morning. You know, even on uh, days, <clears throat> excuse me, like we've had recently where there's a lot of rain and just mud and nastiness, um, don't even want to let the dog out kind of day, you know what I'm talking about? There's still such a beauty in nature. There's such a comfort in knowing that seasons come and go, and I love that. Another thing that I love is the more that we learn, the more we study about nature, the more we build, um, not like I'm building it, but humanity, the more we build these amazing <clears throat> gadgets that let us see deeper and deeper out into space and understand how stuff works out there better, the more we look deeper and deeper on a microscopic, microscopic and submicroscopic level, the more we learn, the more we realize two things. First of all, we're never going to understand it all. It's just too big. There's too much stuff out there. But the second thing, the more we do understand, the more we see God's design. We more we, the more we see his signature everywhere, even places we don't expect to see it. And I love that because that's just the kind of creative and intelligent and amazing God that he is. He, he reveals his nature in nature, in his creation, and especially throughout his word. And this is the way that he always presents truth in his word as well. He gives us these big ideas, kind of like the whole big sky and then little spots of light. And then the more you study it, the more you realize, wow, those are stars. That's bigger than like our sun. Like, wow, I had no idea. And look how many. The, the deeper you go, the more you realize you'll never understand it all. And yet you're more in awe than ever and you want to know more. And he's designed everything like that. He's designed his word like that. He's designed our bodies, like everything like that. So sometimes what we do here is we talk about really big ideas that kind of make us hungry for more. And sometimes we zoom in on the deep, deep stuff. And the deep stuff that we're doing really, right now is really practical. We're talking about the spiritual disciplines. And this series is about wrapping up where this is the next to last one. But it's been called All for the Prize. And here's why. All for the prize is the worldview of true believers. All for the prize is kind of like how Christians who really truly are trying to live their life for Jesus, this is how we see the world. Everything finds meaning because we're seeking to know Christ. We're seeking to build his kingdom. Everything else is pales in comparison with wanting to hear someday from him. Well done, good and faithful servant. And on a daily basis even, as we do our very, very best to do what he tells us to do in our intimate times with him, as we see the fruit of our, our labor and his fruit growing when we try our best to make it possible for him to grow his fruit in us, when we see this little by little and we get a sense that he is pleased, that's it. That's what it's for. It's all for that. The phrase all for the prize comes from Paul's words where he said that everything that he does is for that prize. Everything he does is to know Christ. He wants to know the, everything about him, his power, to even experience his suffering. This is what we're talking about. And the reason we're focusing on spiritual disciplines is simply because they are the practices that connect us with God's will, God's power, and God's truth more than anything else. Here's what I really hope that you can get this morning. This first fundamental truth, it's up here. <clears throat> I think that sometimes we miss it, and I don't, I don't want you to miss it this morning. 
And that's this. Sometimes we, we say, well, we can never accomplish all these things that God wants us to accomplish. We can never be the kind of people he wants us to be. We can never beat all the temptations. We could never be perfect. And that is true on one level. But the reason we have spiritual disciplines, the reason we have his own Holy Spirit living inside of us is this. We can accomplish God's goals with his help. And if you are following along in your bulletin today with the insert, uh, I, I, that I just gave you the first two words there. We can accomplish God's goals with his help. And the first scripture listed there is 1 Corinthians 10, 13. This is one that is often misunderstood. I think it's a good illustration of how we need to always keep studying to learn more. It says this, the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. A lot of times, no matter what version of the Bible we're reading from, we stop in the middle of that verse. When we get to the part where it says that he won't let us be tempted beyond what we can endure, what we assume is that means the trial will be small enough that we can handle it on our own. That's absolutely not what it says. When you read the whole verse and you read it in context, what he's saying is, I will make sure that no matter what you face, no matter what I allow, no matter what I even send your way, that I will, I, God, will make sure that you can handle it. I will give you the power to handle it. I will let you see what the sin that is tempting you is. I'll connect you to my truth. I will let you see the way out. I will connect you to my will. And I will give you the power to drag yourself to that exit that I provided for you, even if you don't even want to go there. I will make sure that you have a way out. You can't handle it on your own. But with my help, says the Lord, you can that is the hope, and that is why we practice spiritual disciplines and everything else that we do so that we can connect with his truth, his will, and his power. And the more we do this, the more we actually become like him. Like soldiers, like musicians, like athletes, and anyone else who eventually becomes what they aspire to be through training, through practice, we become what we do. We eventually become like Jesus because we do what he says. We build our lives on his teachings. That takes a lot of humility. That takes, and humility is hard. No matter how, anybody ever had a toddler or hung around toddlers very much? Have you ever noticed how, how prideful and arrogant toddlers are? They literally don't know hardly anything. They, they don't know anything yet, but they think they know everything. And as we grow, we, we, we tend to get even more arrogant sometimes. I, I've never understood that, but we always think we know everything. One of my favorite speakers is Dr. Tony Evans, and he tells a story about his early days when he had just finished co Bible college. He was still in seminary. Now he's Dr. Tony Evans. He hadn't even finished his master's yet. He was in one of his first ministries. He's newly married with his wife, and he bought himself a bike. And the bike came completely disassembled. And like most men, and quite a few women actually, he decided, I don't need the instructions, I'll just make this happen. So he starts working on it. He said he worked on it for hours and hours. And then his wife came out to the garage, and he basically, after like about eight hours, he said, he had the handlebars. And uh, she said this, I'm gonna read it so I get it right. She said, is it possible 
that the bike maker knows more about bicycle assembly than the degree holder. And so he said, well, he took his wife's advice and in 45 minutes he'd completed the task that had, he'd failed to complete in eight hours. This is why we do the spiritual disciplines. We have to know, we have to submit ourselves. They start where we say our maker knows more about us, more about life, more about everything than we do. So how do we connect with him? If there's any tool at all that might work, if there's any strategy at all that might work, let's do that. We have to learn to study his way. We study to learn his way. The whole point of studying, and this is our first, uh, the first of the two we're focusing on today, is the spiritual discipline of study. The point of study is not just to know stuff. It's to know his stuff. The point of study is not just to impress God because we spend time studying, but to actually learn the things that he wants us to learn. The point of study is to become like him and to fall in love with him and to fall in love with his ways because they are better than ours. Psalm 119 is not just the longest chapter in the Bible, it's also a love song written by King David to God and his ways, to his rules, to his wisdom, and the joy there is and the freedom there is in following that. I, I've, it's actually a really long chapter, but I've selected three verses from it I'd like you to read out loud with me this morning. This is the why we study the Bible. This is the perspective we get. Let's read it together. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I will study your commandments and reflect on your ways. Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. Notice it's a lamp to guide us where we walk. It's not a nightlight to comfort us. It's not just a light to put on our desk so that we can read about him more. It's a light that guides our path. It's a light that shows us where we go. Ezra is a great example in the Old Testament. Um, he and Nehemiah and all the people that worked with them were able after the Babylonian exile to come back and to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and to restore some righteousness and some true obedience to God among his people. Ezra verses 9 and 10 says this, the gracious hand of his God was on him. Listen, this was because Ezra had determined to study and obey the law of the Lord and to teach those decrees and regulations to the people of Israel. One more time. This was because Ezra had determined to study and obey the law of the Lord and to teach those decrees and regulations to the people of Israel. We believe in study a lot around here. You probably can tell, but just in case, here are just a, here's a quick glance at a few of the things that we do. We offer a free subscription to you guys. We pay for it as a church to rightnowmedia.org. It's an online, it's kind of like Netflix for Christians in a, in a way, but it's all the stuff on there is Bible study and um, all kinds of really cool resources and especially stuff for your kids. Everything from movies, uh, remember VeggieTales, VeggieTales on there, like every VeggieTales ever, like there's so many really good stuff on there, we offer that. We have a church library, 
And uh, Kathy Dolan and several other people are constantly updating that, keeping that going. We believe in that. We study all the time. We have sermons here. We have Sunday school classes. We have small groups that are devoted just to Bible studies. We have Bible studies. We're getting ready to start some life groups that just help you take what we study here to the next level because this is the essence of study. We've got a ladies Christmas event that's coming up. By the way, today is the last day to sign up for that. It's called Christmas Spice. A big part of that really fun event is actually a Bible study. It's actually got some stuff in it that's going to actually really empower you and strengthen you, give you some insight in the middle of all of that. Today we're uh, using Advent, the Advent idea, and we're, we've got a brand new um, Bible study for families or anybody else. You can be single, any age, married, it doesn't matter, but we're empowering you with these little one, one little thing a day Bible studies. They're right out there by the big, like, really cool bulletin board. Thank you, Nikki. That's so beautiful. I love it. Anyway, do you get a sense that we do this a lot? We believe in Bible study? But here's the problem. Here's the problem. Sometimes we still get distracted. Not just Morrison Hill, just everybody. Sometimes we get so distracted by study itself that we forget the most important thing. The spiritual discipline of study is not just studying. It's studying God's word. Make sure that when you study that you're using all these tools that we give you and all the tools you can find on your own. Make sure that you're using them to understand and apply God's word better. Ecclesiastes 12.12 12 warns this, but my child, let me give you some further advice. Be careful for writing books is endless and much study wears you out. One of the trends that scares me in, in Christianity across the board is that there are a lot of devotion books now that where it, it like says spend five minutes with God or 10 minutes with God or 15 minutes with God and some of them even say here's a letter to you from Jesus or a letter to you from God but some person wrote that and there's some powerful stuff I've looked through a lot of those and there's some great stuff in them and I'm not saying they're wrong or anything like that but here's what scares me I, I really think there's some people that are that's all they're reading. That the letter from Jesus they're reading is actually from some lady somewhere that wrote that book. They're not actually using that to help them understand the things Jesus himself actually said. They're doing that instead, and that's dangerous. That's what the writer of Ecclesiastes is telling us. The writing of books is endless. People write books all the time, and they may or may not be right. We've gotta keep coming back to what Jesus said. We've got to keep coming back to what the apostles taught us. We've got to keep coming back to the Old Testament and comparing that. We've got to keep making sure that we're comparing everything that we're learning, everything that we're studying to God's actual word and applying that. Use all the tools you can, but make sure that you use them to study God's word itself and apply it to your life. Even more dangerous is a lot of times when we study, especially those of us who actually love to study. And this, I realize I'm a, I'm a rare bird here, but I know I have a few, few people out there that also like to learn. It's fun to learn for me. Here's, here's a special warning to you guys and to me. Be careful that you don't spend too much time studying all of the other alternatives. Sometimes it's really nice to do that so that you can argue better, so that you just have a little bit more insight, so you really understand where they're coming from. So there, there's a lot of good reasons to try and look at all of the other possible things. But again, the, the writing of books is endless. We don't really need to know 
all the lies to understand the truth and apply it to our lives. In fact, Ephesians 5.12 says this, it's shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret. I'm not sure how exactly that needs to apply, but let me just say this. The stuff that you spend a lot of time on, the stuff that you fill your head in, whether you're sitting at a desk reading a book or not, if you're watching movies all the time, if you're watching stuff on your phone, on YouTube or whatever else, but that stuff is coming from an ungodly perspective, that's going into you just like sitting down reading God's word or listening to God's word. Make sure that the stuff that you are studying, whether you are studying like book studying or not, make sure that you're getting God's word mostly. Make sure that that's where you're focusing. Just knowing stuff is meaningless. It's a waste of time unless it helps us learn and understand and apply and teach God's truth, especially to our children. Say that one more time. We study so we can learn, understand, apply, and teach God's truth, especially to our children. I'm just going to walk you through a simple technique that's easy to use nowadays, easier than ever. If you've got a Bible app or you use BibleGateway.com, this is one of the easiest ways to study the Bible. We're going to look at one verse that the um, King James Version actually, in in this verse translation, it actually uses the word study and the other ones don't. I'll explain to you why, but this is 2 Timothy 2.15. I like a lot of translations. I read a lot of them. Most of the time, if I don't have it noted up here, right this minute at least, I'm I'm using the New Living Translation simply because it's clear and simple and very accurate. I don't believe that's the only one. I don't think that's tied to your salvation or anything else. And I really recommend looking at several different um, translations. For example, 2 Timothy 2.15 in the King James Version says, Study to shew thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Shew, by the way, just means show, not shew. Okay? It's the old way of saying show, show. And study, it does mean study. It means kind of what we talk about, what we tend to think about when we say study. But it also means something more. That word that we translate study, what it really is, is do whatever it takes. It's almost the same idea as what Paul is talking about when he says to, he punishes his body and trains like an athlete. It's the same concept. It's do whatever it takes over and over and over and over again so that you do become like Christ, so that you do accomplish the things that he wants you to accomplish. Let's look at these two other versions. You'll you'll see how different translators have kind of stumbled on this or or tried different ways to say the same thing. Uh, NIV. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. The New Living says, work hard so that you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly explains the word of truth. 
Again, I just offer that as it's just, that's something nowadays you can use with zero Bible college training, zero time studying Greek. You can just look this stuff up. You can just find it just like that. You can use several different translations. You can look up loan words. You can do this like literally like this. Oh, oh, it's that easy nowadays. And I really encourage you to do that more. But again, it's all about applying it to our lives. And Joshua was a great example of this. Joshua 1.8 is part of his kind of inaugural address as he's becoming the new leader of Israel and starting the campaign to destroy all of their enemies and take over the promised land. And in the middle of that speech, here's what he says. Study this book of instruction. He's referring to all the scriptures they had up to that point. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so that you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. And once again, God is so consistent all throughout his word. If you squint really hard, you're gonna see these patterns that he puts in there. He's not saying if you spend time studying God's word, then God will bless you and you will succeed whatever else you end up doing. Whatever you choose to do on your own, God will just reward you for studying by blessing what you do. That is not what he's saying here. Listen one more time. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. What are they going to be doing? What are they going to succeed in? How are they going to prosper? The things God told them to do. The things they are obedient in doing. The stuff he says, I need this done. I need this to stop. When they are faithful to study it and then obey it, they will be successful. Because they will not only just be working on their own power, they will have access to God's power. And we can accomplish his goals with his help. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9 is part of that passage they would have been reading and studying. It says this, impress them, the word says them, he's talking about the laws of Christ, or laws of the Old Testament. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands, bind them on your foreheads, write them on the doorframe of your houses and on your gates. Once again, this is a good illustration of what I've said almost every time this little series, and that's that these are tools, not rules. The idea here is not that if you don't have a gate, you need to build a gate so that you can write God's word on your gate, okay? Do you understand? This is not like, we're not talking about legalism here. We're not talking about trying to, oh wait, I don't have anything on my hand. I don't have anything on my forehead. That's not the point. The point is, God's word, studying it, applying it, constantly thinking about it, living it out, helping your children do this has to be pervasive. It's got to be something that's part of everything you do, everywhere you go. The stuff that you hang up on the wall, the stuff that you read, the stuff that you study, the stuff that you entertain yourself by, the stuff you talk about, all of it. That, that, that following God and his will is this. And let me say to anyone who's got children, there is such a huge, such a huge responsibility of that that lies on us as parents. 
And I don't have time to dig deep, deep, deep into this today, but that is for both parents, absolutely both parents, but some, someday we'll get to this. There, there's even more responsibility to fathers. And I just want to throw that out there. Whoever you are, even if you don't have kids, if you're not even married, you just, you have no desire to ever be, you still need to study on your own. But if you have the responsibility to teach someone else, this becomes even more important. So the last couple minutes here, we're going to spend kind of going back over a a couple things. But first, here's a very easy one to apply, but super powerful. This is the second one we're highlighting today, and it is the spiritual discipline of secrecy. Now, we're not talking about secrets. The spiritual discipline of secrecy, just like fasting isn't really about not eating. That's really not the point. We talked about that last week. Fasting is all about like focusing on God. It's remembering what we are addicted to, realizing what actually we spend more time and money and energy and emotions and everything on than God. Fasting is, is not about not eating. It, not eating is the way you get there, Right? And secrecy is the same way. It's not about keeping secrets. In fact, most of the time, when you, if you do a word search on BibleGateway.com about the word secret or secrecy throughout the scriptures, most of the time it's a bad thing. Most of the time people are keeping their sins secret. Or most of the time it's a lot of those things I put in your bulletin insert that I hope you read at home because we don't have time. But this is, these are just a small sample of all the places where it says that the things we do in secret, good and bad, will be revealed someday. Good and bad. I think that's something worth remembering. So it's not about keeping secrets, that's not the thing. Here's what it is, here's what it is. Secrecy, the spiritual discipline of secrecy, is all about destroying our pride and totally trusting God. That's what it's about. And it's very simple to practice. Here's all you do. You do any other spiritual discipline ever. You give, give sacrificially, or you, you start, start being actually faithful about tithing, that kind of thing, but you don't tell anybody. You, you, you pray. You pray more than you've ever prayed before and you're excited about it. And you're actually starting to hear back from God. And you see yourself starting to transform. And honestly, let me say this. Most of the time, we should be sharing that. We need to be accountable. We need to be sharing our victory stories, our testimonies more than ever before. We need small groups so that we can connect. We need people that are going to ask us, so how are you doing? And we need to be able to share all this. That's, that's not wrong. But sometimes, you know what I'm talking about about sometimes you know that that particular week you did something that's awesome and you know that if you're part of a small group Sunday school class whatever it is where you connect with people if you tell that story you go to the head of the class that day and you can't wait to get there because you're like oh man I got a testimony this time I finally I got it that's the one you don't tell You don't pretend it doesn't happen. If anybody says, are you experiencing this? You say, yeah, you're not going to lie about it. But you don't go, guys, guys, listen up. Today is Monday. You trust God. You say, you know what? I'm going to take you up on that. Someday all the secrets will be revealed and rewarded. All right. Let's see what happens. There is something that just rips pride apart when you do that. 
It's what Jesus was talking about in, in the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, here's some great stuff from Richard J. Foster about it. And again, we're starting to turn the corner and end, but please, please hang in with me these last couple minutes because there's some powerful things and a huge challenge at the end. Excuse me, Richard J. Foster says, nothing disciplines the flesh like service and nothing transforms the desires of the flesh like serving in hiddenness. The flesh whines against service but screams against hidden service. It strains and pulls for honor and recognition. It will devise subtle, religiously acceptable means to call attention to the service rendered. But if we stoutly refuse to give in to this lust of the flesh, we crucify our pride and our arrogance. I encourage you to read the entire chapter, Matthew chapter 6. Most of what we know, later on on your own. And don't tell anybody about it, okay? Keep it between you and Jesus. I'm just telling you. But do that today. Read the whole thing. Because that's in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus' manifesto, if you will. And then in that whole chapter is about trusting God. It's about how to get over anxiety and how to get over worry and how to get over a bunch of stuff by totally trusting God. And in the middle of that, I'm just giving you a few few key words out of here but he says watch out don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others for you will lose the reward from your father in heaven when you give when you pray when you fast don't make it obvious no one will notice except your father who knows what you do in private and your father who sees everything will reward you One thing that you do need to make really clear is that studying and practicing what you are studying is a huge priority to you, to the closest people around you, to your church family, and especially to your own family if you are a mother or a father. Tony Evans says this, if we don't create Christian environments in our homes, then we can't blame anyone else if our children go off track. The more time your children spend in a non-God-centered atmosphere, the more time you need to spend with them to counteract the influence, that influence and reinforce a biblical worldview. Richard J. Foster says, Disciplines are not the answer. They only lead us to the answer. C.S. Lewis says, The Christian does not think God will love us because we are good but that God will make us good because he loves us. That turns it all on its head. And that's what study and secrecy is about. It's not about impressing other people. We don't study, we don't tell our testimonies, we don't do all of those things because they're horizontal. They're not, they're vertical, they're between us and God. We can share them. We should share them many times. A study is something that you share that's part of the point is teaching. But the reason that we do this is to make sure that we're connected to the power of God. Because we cannot accomplish his goals on our own, but we can with his help. And so this is my challenge to you today. Maybe there is something that you need to keep private. You can make that decision and don't come forward today. Okay? Just decide that and just say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make this change, but I only, I, I'm only going to be accountable to God. Don't come forward. But there are a lot of decisions that the reason we ask you to come forward, there's no aisles in the Bible. They didn't line up like this in the, in the New Testament. 
There's, no, there's nowhere where you see people coming forward as a way to be saved or to do any, make any decision. It's just you come forward so that you can share with the rest of us. If you're right here, we can all see it. If you're right here, we can all pray with you. If you're right here and you ask for prayer, other people can come and clump around you and pray and we can pray for you. If you're right here, we're, we're right here and we can say, what, what is it? And while everybody's still singing, it's a very practical thing. And if you've got a decision you need to make today that needs to be public, I dare you to just make it. Make it today. There's no, there's absolutely no reason to keep studying God's word if you're not going to live it out. And if you've never given your life to Jesus, give your life to Jesus today. If you know that you need to make a commitment to a church body and you're, you're willing to trust us and you're willing to help us become more and more and more every day, every year, forever become what he's made us to be you're going to help us study you're going to help us become more and more like him we need your help we need you to come forward and do that if you'd like prayer if you'd like some people to pray around you please come make that choice today let us share in it right now let's stand and sing and let's all just see what god tells you to do